Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at today, and I think at the end of this message, I'm going to get a little practical, but I want to talk about how God changes us. Uh, and I think that's important for us to understand some of how that works. I can't, obviously can't spend four hours with you because I know you want that, but I can't do that today. But uh, my, my thought is, how do we partner with the kingdom of God, which is breaking out in the city? How, how can we as, and I don't want us just to think as individuals, I want us to think also as collective. Like we are the body of Christ. So as a community, as a church, how do we move forward uh, in the life that God has for us? So, and, and this will fall all under the rubric of how God changes us. As one author said, even the best of intentions, when it comes to our understanding of change, our ability to change is limited. He goes on to say, making and breaking New Year's resolutions is an American tradition. Can I get an amen? Uh, so rather than thinking of New Year's resolutions, maybe we should, I know it's, I know it's July and you're like, why, why are we in January? Be quiet, okay? But, but rather than coming up with New Year's resolutions, maybe we should do like doable New Year's resolutions. Like one, gain weight. Is there any friction with that? No, right? Or procrastinate. I'll just start tomorrow with whatever. Uh, read my Bible less. You know? Like human nature. How many of you understand human nature is a, oh, it's a fickle thing. When we go to the book of Genesis, what do we see? We, humans begin in the heights in the Garden of Eden. And at the end of the book of Genesis, there is a funeral dirge scene. And so you kind of see that human nature, this is, this is how human nature function. It's this inexorable like, march into the abyss or corruption. And we feel that. We feel the tension in our lives on a, cons- on a consistent basis. As one expert calls it, it's the willing doing gap, which no one here has ever experienced. Okay, But it's, the, it's this idea that um, there is a gap between what we want to do and what we, what we desire and what we actually live out in our lives. Right? I don't know if you know it. Can we be honest in church? I think there is a struggle. I know there's a struggle in my life. I think there's a struggle in our life to connect what God does on a Sunday with what God is doing in our life Monday through Saturday. Right? Thank God that he doesn't take a break uh, through the week and he just shows up on Sunday. Can you get an amen to that? Right, so God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He is sovereign over every single day. And um, but I think as as we begin to like build that out and we begin to understand uh, who God is, we also have to come face to face with these gaps that we've created in our own life. How many of you have a gap in your life between what you want to do in terms of following Jesus and what you're actually living? There were eight hands in the room. Revival is breaking out at Capitol Church. Wow. God is so good. And we have a bunch of liars. Okay. 
So we know that there are gaps, okay? So what I'm, what I'm not talking about is a physical gap as in the distance between two banks on either side of a river. It's more of a gap between the growth and maturity that God has for us, like the difference between McDonald's and a local steakhouse. How many of you would agree that there's a qualitative difference between Mickey D's, and I love Mickey D's maybe once a year, right? But there's a qualitative difference between McDonald's and thank God how sweet Lord Jesus that In-N-Out is coming in here pretty soon, right? No? Some of you work at McDonald's, I can tell. You're like, you're giving me that face. There's a, qualitatively, there's a qualitative difference between those two restaurants. Well, there's also a, a difference in our lives between how we're living right now and the gaps that we have and what God has called us to. So how do we bridge those gaps from just willing and desire and longing to do something for God and move into the life of the kingdom, move into partnering with the Holy Spirit as the kingdom of God is breaking out in our city? How uh, do we take steps? For example, there's, there are some, let's imagine a five-year-old who begins to learn French for the very first time. And this is imagine 10 years down the road, they become fluent in French. We would understand that there's a qualitatively different, different approach to language um, between the five-year-old version and the 10 to 15-year-old version of that person who is fluent in French. How, as we translate this, how do we become more fluent in the love of God? How do we become like that? How do we grow? How do we mature? Steph Curry at the age of five, Steph Curry could not shoot on a 10-foot hoop. But now, right now, Steph Curry, once he crosses half court, you got to guard him, right? You got to defend him because he can shoot anywhere on the floor. How do we move into, the point that I want to make, into the life that God has for us? How do we move into the life of the kingdom? How do we go from where we're at right now to uh, the depths and the maturity that God has for us. Because guys, in five years, I don't want it to be the case that we are the same. I hope we look different. No? I hope there's some growth and maturity and life and depth and wisdom and responsibility and the kingdom of God breaking out in our city. Now, we can give lip service to that, or we can like do the hard work and take responsibility for our lives and open our lives up to the Holy Spirit and allow him to, to change us and give us the power to bridge the gaps in our lives. So how do we become fluent? How do we take the steps? How do we move forward into the life that the kingdom of God has for us? In our culture, the answer is this, take a shortcut. Our culture's response to change, in other words, is to take a shortcut. Here's a technique. Here's an image that you can curate on social media. Uh, here's a life hack. Like, here's some tools to manipulate results. And I'm not, I'm not against technique, and I'm not against tools, I, or even every now and then some life hacks. I think there's some good things out there that can help. But if you don't have the character behind the tools, you will just take techniques and manipulate relationships. You'll, you'll manipulate your kids. You'll manipulate your coworkers because you don't have the depth to back up the techniques that you're using. In other words, you can't just have three steps on how you can make people like you more, right? Those are fine, but you should be a likable person. Are you hearing me? There should be some depth in you, some change in you that um, causes people to 
I don't know, like you. I don't know, what, I don't know why we're talking about friends today, but if you need a friend, we'll pray that God will give you a friend, right? Whatever. But what, the point that I'm making is that we need character to back up the tools that we have if we really want to experience deep life change, which what, what I'm talking about is you have to learn to take, hey, this is a prophetic moment, and I'm speaking to everybody. I love you with all my heart. The grace of God is overflowing right now in this church, but we have to understand that we have a responsibility for our life. And if we don't take responsibility for our life, we will only become a reactive person. And so I'm talking about that. When I'm talking about change, I'm talking about the difference between an immature mindset and a mature mindset. An immature mindset is a dependent mindset. It's you feed me, you come through for me, and if you don't do everything that I expect you to do and demand that you do, I'm going to blame you, accuse you, and criticize you. So an immature mindset has shaped our culture so much so that we become reactive. Now, when I, what I'm not talking about is if you're in an abusive relationship or you're in a bad relationship, you just take responsibility for it. Stop it, right? If you're in a bad relationship, get out of it. Can I get an amen? So please understand what I'm talking about. Yes, of course, we speak the truth and love to institutions. We need to do that. And there's a right way to do that and a wrong way to do that. But with all the respected differences considered in just general life and in our relationship with God and our relationship with others, it's important that we don't become reactive. And a reactive mindset is I will wait on Sunday for the pastor to get me going. And then I'll do something for the kingdom of God. Or Marvin gets up, and I can't wait for Marvin to sing that song. And that's when the heavens open. And once he does that, I will enter into what God has for me. And that is an immature mindset. My four toddlers have that mindset. They can't survive without my wife and I. They depend on us feeding them and taking care of them. And when we don't give them ice cream, when we don't give them candy, and when we don't give them what they want, they accuse us and blame us for their stupidity, okay? I love them. Seriously, I love my kids. You know I love my kids, but they're stupid. Okay, parents, can I get an amen to that? So an immature mindset is a reactive mindset. It's an unwillingness to take responsibility for their life before God. And one of the reasons why we cannot bridge the gap of willing and doing and what we actually want and how we live our lives is because we refuse to take responsibility and we outsource our relationship with God to a professional, to a pastor or to someone else. And I think pastors are absolutely important. And I think professionals are absolutely important to our life before God. Please hear what I'm saying. But if all you do is outsource your devotion to Christ, you'll never get the private victories. And if you don't get the private victories in your life, you'll never get the public ones. And you'll never move into the life of the kingdom of God. And you'll never be able to really partner with the Holy Spirit in bringing about the activity of heaven in our city. So it's so important that we understand that when, when we talk about change, it, shortcuts aren't going to do it. We can't just live by technique alone. We can't just live by tools alone. And some of those are really important. The problem with our culture is we want the fruits uh, without the roots. 
The problem with some people in the church is we want, we want Christianity without Christ. We want the kingdom of God without the king. We want everything on our own terms. We want results without consecration. We want peace, joy, righteousness, but we don't want to go to our Bibles and spend time with Jesus. We want purpose, but we're unwilling to be in the presence of God, the very one who can give you purpose. Chris, this is a condemning message. No, this is a grace-filled message because I think we're all, I think we all can understand that, man, this, this is relatable to us. Like this is, we can't do what God wants us to do without the grace of God. But it is important that we understand that we have to take responsibility for our lives. How do we do that? What's the answer? How do we change? How do we change? How do we move into the life of the kingdom of God? How do we participate with the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of God, which is breaking out in our city? Three things. Number one, you need the spirit of God. Number two, you need vision. And number three, this is just a pastoral thought. I have like 10 thoughts, but I can only give you three today. The third one's you, you have to learn to say no. No, 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 no. I'm going to get to that really. I'm, I'm just going to say one quick thought. The problem is we want every experience in this world. And because we're unwilling to say no, it is difficult for many people to get into the mission that the Father has for them. I'm going to stop because I just gave you a little taste of what I'm going to talk about. We have to learn to say no. We need vision and we need the Spirit of God. So first, on the Spirit. As Marvin read, what is the baptism of Jesus all about? He read out of Matthew chapter 3. Up until this point, Jesus was the Messiah designate. So think of the Prince of Wales for 70 years, right? He was uh, the king-in-waiting. At at, as the heavens opened and as Jesus was baptized and as the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus, at that point, the Father crowned him as king. So if you, want to, if you want to know, okay, what is this baptism event all about? Why did all four Gospels talk about it? Uh, the point is, this is the moment that Jesus becomes the king. So this is a coronation event, right? It's also, if you read this passage really well, you'll begin to see some of the apocalyptic features of it. The heavens are torn open, which I love. You can see heaven. Heaven is not just way out there. Heaven is so close. And you see whatever, whatever line that divides reality between heaven and earth, you begin to realize as you read this story that it is very thin. Heaven and earth overlap in really intimate ways. And we, get, we, get, we got a strange way of thinking about the world. We call this cosmology. We think heaven is way, way out there uh, in deep space. Guys, heaven right now is interacting with our space in ways we can't see. In this moment, we have an apocalyptic vision of the heavens being torn open, and that the Father speaks his love over the Son. It is a powerful moment that shapes the life and the destiny and the mission of Jesus. And then we find in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus, as Luke tells us, was full of the Holy Spirit or was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he went into the wilderness to confront the Satan. My question is this, how did the perfect, sinless Son of God fulfill his mission? Think about that question. Let it just wrestle with that. How did Jesus fulfill his mission, purpose, and vision? Vision, if you, if you want to know what vision is, vision is where you're going. 
right? It's, it's a glimpse of the future. Mission is how you're going to do the vision. Purpose is understanding the why behind the vision. So all three are kind of overlap. They kind of share kind of some semantic, whatever, right, roots. But it's important to understand that Jesus was able to fulfill his mission in a certain way. The question is how. The classic response in the church when it comes to Jesus healing the sick, Jesus perceiving thoughts of other people, Jesus confronting Satan, overcoming Satan, Jesus going all the way to the cross and fulfilling his mission on behalf of the sins of the world, that he did everything in three years in his public ministry because he was divine. Now, yes, he was divine, without question. Are you hearing me? Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. So if you were to answer the question, how did Jesus fulfill his mission? Most people would say, because, I mean, come on, stupid. He's, if they were talking to me, he's God. And you would be right. He is God. But you would also be wrong with the question that I'm asking. I'm not asking if he's divine. We all know he's divine. Can I get an amen? amen. He is the perfect, sinless, eternal word made flesh. And who's walking among us. But you would be wrong if you answer the question, how did Jesus fulfill his mission? If you said, well, because he's God. Jesus, in other words, fulfilled his mission, not because he lived from his divinity. He fulfilled his mission because he lived from his humanity. And the answer to the question, and we find this in the baptism of Jesus, that Jesus was able to fulfill the mission of his father and do what he did because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus lived a perfectly spirit-filled human life for our sake as a prototype and a model for you and I. Was he fully divine? Yes. But did he live from his divinity? No, he lived from his humanity, fully divine, but completely reliant upon the Holy Spirit for power, for wisdom, for guidance, for direction, for understanding, for revelation. He did this as a prototype for us. Acts chapter 10 says this, Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good and healing all of those who were oppressed by the devil. Philippians chapter two gives us this beautiful poem about how Jesus, the eternal word who became Jesus, he emptied himself. What did he empty himself from? That Greek word is kenosis. So I'm offering you a semi-kenotic view about how Jesus emptied himself. In other words, Jesus did not empty himself and become a human and was obedient to his father and went to the cross and then his father elevated him as the entire king of the world. That's how the poem goes. He didn't empty himself of his divinity. He emptied himself of his divine lifestyle or the privileges of divinity. Or we can say that he emptied himself of his independent use of the incommunicable attributes of God, which means he gave up the right to use omnisapience, omnipresence, all those things, and he chose to self-limit himself 
for our sake and relied completely on the filling of the Holy Spirit to heal the sick, to see what was happening in the crowds as he followed the Holy Spirit, as he followed the guidance and the direction of the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, he then fulfilled and was able to fulfill the mission that his father had for him. So Jesus didn't have a cheat card. He goes into the wilderness and there's, bam, the devil. It's like, I'm divine. Get behind me. Jesus didn't do that, right? When Jesus encountered the Satan, he was full of the Holy Spirit and he quoted scripture. And rather take a shortcut by like, okay, enough of this humanity stuff, you little joker, right? Do you know who I am, right? You little devil, right? Jesus didn't do any of that. Jesus didn't cheat, didn't pull out his God card. He just relied on the Spirit and the Word of God. The Word of God relied on the Word of God. I put that in your theological pipe. And don't smoke it. How? So, that's, okay, so, if that is true, he's a prototype for us, then how much more so do we as apprentices of Jesus, as we move forward into the life of the kingdom, need to have the Holy Spirit fill us? So my question here today is, and this is just a, I don't mean to be provocative, but are you full of the Holy Spirit? Because you're it's never the case, guys, that you're not full of something. Well, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> Cleanse your minds, right? Right? We're full of something. We can be full of Netflix. We can be full of distractions. We can be full of, we can be full of like our circle of concern, which is nuclear war and what's going on in politics. And those are important things. But if you're not careful, you become so distracted with other stuff that it sabotages the Holy Spirit filling your life. So what are you full of today? Are you full of hurt? Are you full of resentment? Are you full of offenses? Are you, what, what are you full of? Are you full of distracting things and voices, inferior voices, or are you full of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the source, is the source of our life. It's the source. He is the source of our change. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us to partner with the kingdom of God as it breaks out in our city. Additionally, Jesus in his baptism, talks, has a conversation with John, a little tete-a-tete. -tete. Let me backtrack just a little bit. I do want to talk, and I'm going to get back to that thought, but I do want to talk about additionally, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's also another dimension that takes place. God comes and cleanses us. We need cleansing. We don't talk about cleansing enough. What, what do we need to be cleansed of? I think some of you might be new to this thought, but I think this is really important. We all need to be cleansed of defilement. Jesus gives us a, a, a model in his baptism. I'll explain that really quick. But defilement is, is and I'll explain it here in, in different ways, but defilement is like what happens to your new shoes. 
So what is defilement? Defilement is what happens to maybe new shoes that you got. Now, what I love about my wife is that she loves everyone and everything. She loves chickens way too much. She loves turtles way too much. She loves dogs and cats and kids, and I love it. She loves me. She just loves the world. She loves everything, but she hates her shoes. She hates them. What do I mean? She will get new shoes, and within a day, she trashes them. I'm the opposite. If you give me new white shoes, I will keep them clean for the next 10 years. I know how to clean them. I know what not to get into, right? You can't, it's so funny. My wife will have new shoes. She'll come back at the end of the day. There's mud on it and dirt. I'm like, oh my God, I'm starting to freak out. Um, anyone like, you, you're really protective of your shoes, okay? Some, no one is, or a few of you, okay? Um, and she'll come back and there's just stuff all over shoes. And this is what happens. And I, I want you to understand defilement. Shoes pick up, we know this dirt. Uh, and if you don't clean the dust and the dirt off of your shoes, those shoes will eventually become unusable. So what is defilement? Defilement is taking something that's useful and it turns it into something useless. Defilement is taking something beautiful and making it ugly. And what are the ways that we are defiled in our life? Well, we go through our life. We have interpersonal relationships. We have families. We have, we're in marriage, some of us. We, you know, we have friends. We, we go to work. We just kind of navigate a very socially complex world. And as we go through life, we can pick up hurt, uh, not just dust, but hurt and offenses and shame and negativity. There's a lot of things that we pick up. And in order for us to fulfill the mission of God, a mission that the Father has for us, we have to be cleansed of all defilement. So in the baptism of Jesus, before Jesus is baptized, he has a conversation with John, his cousin, and in the baptism uh, story, Jesus tells John that it is permitted for me to be baptized so that I can fulfill all righteousness. What is Jesus saying here as he prepares himself to be the king of the world? in the coronation event, as he prepares himself to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the next three, three years will be the most life-changing, world-shaking, earth-shattering years that transforms history. Jesus is preparing himself for ministry. Jesus, by saying he is fulfilling all righteousness, is saying, I need to go in the waters of baptism and be cleansed. The sinless, are you hearing me? The sinless, perfect son of God goes into baptism so that he can be cleansed from the defilement of this world. Is Jesus sinful? No. Uh, is Jesus wrestling with impossible tensions within himself? No. But he does need to go through the waters of baptism to be cleansed from defilement that could potentially take him, and this is a theologically complex thought that I can't flesh out here today, but could potentially take him in a wrong direction. So Jesus, much like a priest, before he would oversee the cultus of the tabernacle or temple, would go through a very complex ritual of cleansing. Jesus is cleansing himself from the defilement of this world so he could fulfill the mission of his father. My question here today for all of us, what is defiling you today? Is there anything that you've collected in your heart and in your mind? Are there emotional scripts that you're still giving consent to? You're giving permission to inferior voices 
that are defiling your mind and your heart. I really do believe that there are some people in the church today that are operating from worry and doubt and skepticism and negativity because they've been planted in their mind through relationships and just by being in the world. I think also there are demonic thoughts that some of you are thinking and you don't realize that they're demonic. They do not, the source of those thoughts do not come from God and they also can defile us. So the question is, what is defiling us? Because as we are then filled with the Spirit, God comes and cleanses us. And as he cleanses us, we are then given the power to negotiate and bridge the gap between what we desire and how we actually want to live our lives. Okay. Second thought, we talked about the spirit. There's so much more we could talk about. Second thought is vision. Everyone say vision. 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 I don't think it's the case that anyone in this room needs less vision. Right? I, th I, think, I don't think anyone's like out expecting God. Right? I, th I think we all need to hear this message on vision. Like the thing that transforms us more than anything is the spirit he is the one who comes and empowers us. Number two, we also need vision. If you do not have vision, you cannot, I really believe, you cannot change in the way that you would like to change. We as a community, I just don't want to think as individuals, but I want us to think as a church. We as a church cannot change if we do not have the right map. If we don't see reality as God sees it. Vision. Vision, vision is so important in the life of a follower of Jesus. One of the great prophetic promises of God's new world that you find in the Old Testament is that when the people of God are filled with the Spirit, what happens? They dream dreams and they have vision. So one of the signs that you are full of the Holy Spirit is that you begin to dream again. You begin to have vision so important for us to understand. So as, as followers of Jesus, as the Holy Spirit fills us up, we need to expect to have vision in our life when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, Proverbs 29, 18. We say this all the time, and there's just a lot that we can talk about when it comes to this passage. But it says, without vision, what happens? People perish. The word vision here in the Hebrew simply means to see. To see, to see, to see. Uh, to perish means to run wild. It means to cast off restraint. So the, the, the idea here is that if you want to fundamentally uh, alter the structure of your life, you can't do that through your attitude. You can't do that through soul power, willpower, or through changing your behavior. That's why if you love maple bars and you don't want to eat maple bars, but you obsess over it all morning and in the afternoon, and you find yourself at night eating five maple bars, What's wrong, right? You couldn't change your behavior, right? You tried to have a positive attitude, but the reason why you were unable to really change your behavior is because you didn't have a deep vision about maple bars and how they are bad for you, right? Without vision, people perish. It's funny, we have 18 chickens. I hate them all. Um, there's one mama chicken that keeps on, she thinks she rules like, half of Eagle. 
So she is roaming around. We have a really big chicken coop and then we let them out. So we have a pretty big backyard. And so she's all over the place, but she just tends to go. She goes to different places. She disappears a couple hours a day and then she'll come back um, at night. Uh, we can't see her and then she'll be with the, the chickens and then she, she leaves uh, in the morning and then she comes back and I'm like, what is wrong with this chicken, right? Well, this chicken doesn't have a map or a vision of the good life in the chicken coop. She's yet to understand, please follow me, to understand that life is in our backyard. She doesn't understand that there's, we just found out last week that there's a mountain lion across the road. Like this is, I just love this stuff, guys. I'm totally farmed out, right? There's a mountain lion across our road, a mama and a cub. So she doesn't understand that there's danger out there. She's cast off restraint. She's going to places that she shouldn't go. There, there's danger out there. And I kind of hope the mountain lion gets her. Anyways, <laughs> less chickens. Should I just release all our chickens tonight? Ah, that'd be great. Without vision, people run wild. They, they, they can never discover, and there's a, there's a deeper point that I want to make here pretty quick, but they, they can't discover the purposes and the mission and the vision that God has for them because they're not tapping into the Holy Spirit. So without vision, you cannot act with integrity. You cannot be an honest person if you do not have the vision of God. For example, if you're on your way to New York City, how many would like to go to New York City? No? All right. You're on your way to New York City. You, you're excited. You're going to go to Broadway. You're going to go to a couple shows. Right? You're going to watch a Yankee game. You're going to do some shopping. How many shoppers do we have in the room? Right? You're on your way to New York City, and you're so excited. And then halfway through, just imagine with me, on your GPS, the map you realize is taking you to Detroit. There's nothing wrong with Detroit. I'm just an example, right? Prefer New York City. Detroit would be great too. But you want to go to New York City. Well, here's the thing. You could have a great positive attitude, like, oh, it's going to be great. And you could improve your behavior by speeding up but you will never get to New York City if you're living by the map or you're following the map to Detroit. You see, are you, are you hearing me? Vision is like that. Vision is a map. And if you have the right map, you're going to get to the right place. But if you have the wrong map, it doesn't matter how good of an attitude that you have or how hard you try to change your behavior. Some of you are looking at me like, my preaching face looks like an angry face. I promise you, I'm not angry. I'm passionate. But if you have that wrong map, you want to go to New York, but you're going to Detroit, it doesn't matter how much you change your behavior, you're still going to Detroit. And I think a lot of people, they fail to realize this when it comes to their life with God. They're trying to change their behavior. They're trying to change their attitudes. They're trying to change their thoughts. But they fail to realize that if you want to fundamentally have the Holy Spirit change you, you have to change how you see. You have to change your map. Behavior and changing it and changing your attitude will not make a difference. 
if you're not changing how you see reality. So my question is, do you see reality as God sees it? Because I think so many people that come, do come to church, they have four or five different maps that they're on. And now can you see, how can you act with integrity if you have a map on Sunday that Jesus is king, but then on Tuesday you have another map that says my emotional experience is king, and then Thursday you have a map that my boss is angry and mad at me and I can't do anything and everything's out of control, and that becomes your defining map. And then you come on Saturday and you're just overwhelmed with whatever, hedonism or whatever, right? That's your map. I just got to chill, right? And then you come to church and you, you get back into the right map. And many people wonder why there is no significant, deep life change because they try hard. You don't need to try harder. You need to get the right map. You need to get the right way of seeing reality, your body, your future. And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus obsesses over eyes. He says, man, why are you judging that person with a speck in their own eye when you got a big old plank in your eye? Jesus talks about unhealthy eyes, that if your eye is unhealthy, it will affect your whole body. He says, let the blind lead the blind. What is Jesus saying as he talks about eyes? He's saying that everyone has been afflicted with universal blindness. And the most important thing to change and in moving into the life of the kingdom is you have to see as God sees. Vision. Vision, 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 vision. We need more vision. We need to enter into the perspective that God has for you and for us as a church. What about the future? I don't know if I mentioned this because when you preach a couple services, you forget what you say. But I think there is an erosion of anticipation for the future. I think there's a lot of people that just kind of just kind of go through life without any expectations or anticipating that God's actually going to do something for us. We kind of just ho-hum in our relationship with God. What if we change the game by starting to anticipate this week? Yeah, not everything's going to be perfect, but God's going to do something. As I mentioned, I think earlier, why can't we expect this for our church community? Why can't we believe in five and 10 years that we are going to be completely different? That instead of a thousand baptisms, we're going to have 10,000 baptisms. Did I mention this earlier? Okay, I, I'm sorry. I, I mentioned it earlier. I'm just going to go with it, okay? Like, instead of a thousand salvations, why can't we have 10,000 salvations? Why can't we expect good things, right? Why can't we anticipate good things? Well, that is a function of vision. When we have vision, people don't perish. We understand our limitations. And then that is where we discover change. That's where we discover the power of God to move us forward into his kingdom. So how do we, how do we, how do we cultivate vision in our life? It's just really simple. Uh, we have to be people who prioritize the word of God. The word of God is absolutely essential for us in terms of understanding the depth and the scope of the map that God has for the world. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.